Hello and welcome back to the Football Hipsters podcast. Let's talk football. My name is Chris. I'm your host. And uh, it's been a couple of, uh, well, it's been about a week and a half, I think, since we last came to you uh, with a, a one-on-one chat. So we thought, uh, what's better than a one-on-one? A three-on-one. An orgy of football, if you will. There's a thought. Uh, certainly not social distancing, is it? So uh, let me introduce my panel to you today. Uh, coming from uh, upstairs, downstairs, we'll first start in the top left-hand corner. Uh, good afternoon to you, Josh. Busy week for you, I would imagine, with all the EFL goings on. Oh, it's been an absolute nightmare. I can't get my head around it. Or at least that's what I tried to do this afternoon, to work out who's going up, who's going down, PPG, what's not PPG, and which chairman are shouting at rival fans, because there's many yeah. of those as well. Yes, we'll certainly talk about the Peterborough chairman, I think, at some point. Um, don't you live near the, near the offices? You could just pop over and just put your head over the wall and ask what's going on, couldn't you? I could if there was anyone there. But, you know, yeah, that's a fair point. Times are hard. They're all working remotely. So I've just got to shout. Shout, shout out, loudly and, and hope yeah. for the best. Yeah. Um, there won't be any shouting going on in Spain tonight, or will there? Who knows? Um, but La Liga returns this evening, so we'll be certainly talking to Mr Joel Melwar about that. How are you doing, Joel? You all right? I'm good. Excited for this. Good. Yeah. Feels yes, like this week dragged in the building. Yeah, it, but it's um, yeah. I mean, it's good. What a start as well. Yes, the build derby. So I yeah. think it'll be interesting to see how it pans out, and it will be all those new things. But I think we'll get used to it pretty quick. But yeah, I mean, it's it's practically La Liga every day now for six weeks. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. And we'll um, quite a thought really. We'll certainly um we, we need we'll we'll come to you in a minute for a bit of an update on where the league stands and whatnot. I think people are still trying to work out who's who's where and where the league tables are and everything in between. So we will certainly do that. Um and of course, and we've got a league that is ongoing and has been for a little while and uh, some interesting results as well as a midweek cup uh cup round as well. So um the, we are of course speaking about Germany and uh, and Drew will have us across that. How are you doing, Drew? You right? Oh, you know, just shouting from the rooftops still. Yes, but I'm good. <laughs> are you? Are you? Uh, are you keeping safe? That's the most important thing. Not even minute. close at this point. It's just you know, it's fine. It's, <laughs> it's not been. It's not been a fun week in the US, has it? By no, any means, or but, two uh, or three, or, or two or three, a couple yeah. years, you know. But it's fine. I'm <laughs> good. Yeah, we will certainly touch on the events um, that, and how it affects sport in a little while with you as well. So um, we'll certainly be doing that. Um, apologies, we um, we couldn't get Lala this evening. She's got a bit of a, a family emergency, so she'll be back with us soon. We haven't fired her, don't worry, it's all fine. Um, right, so as promised, we're going to start in Spain uh, because the, um, the, the La Liga action returns. Um, just before we get into, as you mentioned there, Joel, the, the Sevilla derby is uh, tonight, mm. uh, recording on the 11th of June, uh, time recording, by the way. Um, what's happened to the second division and what and all that's in between has that has that all been called off completely is it now just La Liga no 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 the, the league Atlante has come back as well so that kicked ah. off last night ah. so they're following the same regime as uh, as La Liga so Vallecano played last night so yeah it's pretty much um, resuming the season to be honest as as we go on from this point. So I think Spain's I think Spain's interestingly quite prepared for it, uh, and also got some plans to get fans into the stadium before the end of the season too. Yeah. Um, so in this six-week period. Is it? So, uh, is it? Is it Tebas, the president? Yeah, Javier, Javier Tebas is the president of La Liga. Yeah. 
So yeah. he's uh, he's openly saying today that we should have fans in the stadium, not you know ten or twenty percent capacity, but at the end of the six week period, it's yeah, really good. He's quite because he's quite in with the um, is it the, the medical field that he's quite quite well versed yeah. in terms of his knowledge of what's going on. So I guess he's got a bit of an inside track as to how things will be managed. So. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. We're talking with the with the league with the leagues all coming back. Promotion and relegation is exactly as it was at the start of the season yeah. and for the leagues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, interesting that you know the, the the bottom of the tables is interesting in the league as the top. To be honest, um, you've got Espanyol being down there all season, and um, you've got Celta Vigo just be just above relegation. So and and Ibar surprisingly a drag back into it. So. Understandably, those who were just above relegation was probably desperate for it to end as it was. Mm. Um, but now it's kind of like the Premier League where it's a relegation battle, but not like the Premier League. There's, a, there's definitely a title race uh, yeah. waiting to happen now and the fight for the top four too. So um, mm. there's quite a lot to play for, to be honest. Um, mm. Over the next round of fixtures, I'm just talking now, so we played 27. So yeah, there's 11 games left. So there's, there's quite a lot to go for in this period. It's going to yeah. be quite interesting how it pans out especially the relentless nature of it to cram it in six weeks. Yeah. So it's going to be um, pretty full on, to be honest. It's all go, isn't it? Looking at, at the table as it stands, um, Barca two points clear above Real Madrid. Mm. When I say as it stands, as it has stood for a number of months, mm. we should say. Um, we've got the, um, the Sevilla derby tonight, which is, um, for those not in the know, it's Real Betis versus Sevilla. Um, Sevilla mm. currently sitting in, in third, I was reading uh, an article, I think it was, um, it was either Graham Hunter or Graham Balagay was saying that the severe coach is, is under pressure. Mm. How is that the case when they're third? I mean, I appreciate that they have only got a, a one-point cushion over fourth, Sociedad and, and well, joint fourth, Catafte. Atletico Madrid on 45 points in sixth. But there is pressure on the severe coach, whereas Betis, uh, I think I'm right in saying their last game was against Real Madrid, which they won. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I think Lovatega has got. He's had a kind of traumatic uh, three-year period. You think about how the Madrid job turned out for him. You think about how the World Cup turned out for him. Um, well, didn't get to the World Cup, and now he's at Sevilla. So, I think he's been the pressure for that. I think that they'll definitely wait till the end of the season. Um, interestingly, um, I saw Guillaume Balaguer on on La Liga TV yesterday, basically saying Unai Emery's been offered a job uh, in Spain. Um, and everybody's kind of speculating where that is, whether that's Barcelona, whether it's back to Sevilla, whether it's back to Valencia. Um, no one quite knows where that is, whether it's Atletico Madrid, if Simeone's going to go, because Simeone's uh, assistant has gone. So there's definitely, a whether that's increasing the pressure uh, on Lopetegui, I don't know, but there's definitely something in that, whether we'd go back to Sevilla, who knows, but it's, it was very, very, very successful. So mm. I think that might be ratcheting up the pressure on, on him as well, to be honest. Yeah, Barcelona. That would be quite a story, wouldn't it? Not good enough for Arsenal going to manage Barcelona. That would be that would be a thing. Um, how do you see the game tonight going? Because obviously, it, it's a it's a game that's very well known. Yeah. Um, for its atmosphere, which we're not really yeah. going to have tonight. So, no. it, do you think that's going to affect it, or will it still be a, a pretty? Decent uh, game? I don't know. It's hard to say. It'd be able to tell after five minutes, I guess. Um, mm. I think this is the same situation as when Dortmund played Schalke, isn't it? That interesting yeah. was a derby the first game back and it was built up and then I think you remember the tempo was flat for the first 
20 minutes then it kind of picked up so whether the crowd will have an impact on that but it is one of the most uh vocal in terms of the crowd you know derbies in europe i'd say the atmosphere and things so it's going to be lacking i mean for the viewer on tv it's going to be lacking because they're doing all of this artificial sound via ea sports and and using that to, to kind of build the atmosphere up but whether the players obviously will they're hailing sounds so they'll definitely feed off the crowd anyway mm-hmm. so um yeah, it's hard to say. There'll be some tempo to it, I'm sure, because there's there's a lot to play for. For, for well, more for Sevilla than Betis, but there's definitely something in it. But it's hard to say. Like I say, you could you can judge it after five minutes. I think you'll be able to gauge it after five minutes of whether the, how the tempo sets off. Yeah, yeah. I'd be interested to see if there's any fans on the roof like there was in Porto last night. I saw this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely nuts. And um, just in terms of where the the table sits, am I am I right in saying we've still got a Clasico to play? No. No, oh no, they have played them both. Okay, right. So, so yes, yeah, so if you think if you, it was just, I think it was February, Madrid right. beat a two nil. Um, interestingly, Madrid are not playing the games at the Bernabeu. Um, right, okay. Renovating the Bernabeu, which was already planned in um, hmm. this summer, they brought it forward when when the pandemic uh, took hold. So they're playing all the remaining games at the training ground. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so they've got like a mini stadium there. It holds six thousand. So it's a it's an actual stadium. It's not just a training pitch. It's an actual stadium, but it's where they train. It's where they train every day. So there's a theory that they'll be all more used to that than they would the Bernabeu. Yeah, just yeah. maybe they're used to being on it most days. So we'll see in terms of that. Um, interestingly, Athletic Madrid offered them use of the for the wonder. Mm. I don't quite understand, but yeah. So. No, but that was the that was the first thought about a Clasico at a training ground. But obviously, that's not going to happen because they've played two. Whether they would have done all this if they'd known that they had a Clasico left to play. Mm. So, um, the, I mean, the bestest game for Madrid beating Madrid was the massive, uh, massive boost for Barcelona because they were they lost the Clasico. They were behind in the title race. Everything was very negative. Um, it'll be interesting to see if when how this goes and and what Barcelona's priority is, whether it's to maximise this six-week period and go for the league or to hold something slightly back and go for the Champions League. Whereas Madrid, I think, will focus everything on winning the league. Um, mm. Largely because they're down against Man City in terms of the, the first leg. But also, I think they need... I think that it's the, the two teams have got completely separate priorities now. I think Barcelona is to start winning Champions Leagues. Madrid is to start winning leagues. Yeah. Because if you think about the last 10 years, it's been in direct correlation of what they've both won, really. With yeah. one complete success in Europe, one periodically successful in Europe, and one really successful in the league, and the other not. So, yeah. So it'd be interesting to see how it pans out. I mean, it, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this how it comes back and and yeah. how it goes to be honest. And who comes back in form? What what what's happening for every team? Like we know, is every player's fit now, near enough. Yeah. So every squad of every squad is full with fit, you know with what your class as fit players. Whether everyone's fit or not, I don't know. But you know, you know, Madrid have got Hazard and Asensio back. Barcelona have got Suarez back. Uh, Diego Costa's back fit for Atletico Madrid. Uh, Guedes is fit for Valencia, and so everybody's back fit now. So every squad's going to be full and utilizing the five yeah. subs. I would think. Yeah, and um, yeah, it will be interesting to see how that five sub rule pans out across Europe. The the only other thing I, I just wanted to touch on, um, as well in Spain, down at the bottom, you kind of mentioned there in your initial. Roundup. Celta Vigo are, are very much mm. in a relegation fight. You look at Espanyol, uh, Leganes, Mallorca. Um, please stay up, Mallorca. Um, they're they're sort of in the relegation spots at the moment, but Mallorca are only a point behind Celta Vigo, mm. and Ibar um, are only two, are only a point ahead of them in sixteenth. 
that's probably the biggest club down there, would you say, in terms of uh, at risk of going down? I still remember them being a European club. Celta Vigo. Mm, or in Europe, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but also Espanol. Uh, I mean, yeah, Espanol of, 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 of uh, heavy Chinese investment, you know, a few years ago, it's not quite worked out for them. They spent big in, in January to try and alleviate the situation. It, it's kind of worked, but they've been down there all, all season. But Celtic Vigo would be surprised if they went. I think you could draw the line about Vidalee in 15th. I think anything above that is probably safe. But again, it's hard to work out, you know, who's going to come back in form, isn't it? So yeah. Ibar on a terrible run before the break, you know, they may come back with a with a fresh kind of a, approach. I'm sure most teams will. So it'll be interesting to see who comes back in form. But um, I mean, Vigo got a good team. I mean, Rafinha and, and Igor Aspas and they've got a really good team. So I'd be surprised if Vigo went, to be honest. I think it will be, looking at it again, I think it will be the bottom three that go, if I'm totally honest. Just because Espanola are, are six points away from any type of safety. So they're going to have to put one hell of a run together now to yeah to get near safety um yeah, yeah. but it might have focused minds and it might have focused the squad in terms of getting everybody back fit so it's hard to say how it's going to work it's, out it's like you said isn't it it is kind of uh um the, the it's like that form kind of thing goes out the window doesn't it based upon yeah. what we've seen previously it, it is almost like a free a free swing at, at teams to to just go out and start afresh almost so um yeah i think it will be interesting to see what what happens um and um, just the final thing i want to touch on before i uh slip across to drew next uh, in terms of the sort of race for european places obviously we don't know what's going to happen with europe so to speak but atletico mm. madrid is are they probably the biggest name that uh yeah i mean to, to say they're struggling would be unfair because they're only technically two points off of the third yeah they are two points off but um, as you said, Simeone, possibly his last season, um, yeah. more talk of the likes of Thomas Partey moving on and, and others. Is it is it this the season where it all kind of blows up for them or do you think that they'll find enough to, to get it back into Europe? Yeah, I still think they'll make the top four. Interestingly, I mean, it's forgotten now, but they actually beat Liverpool twice just yeah. right before, you know, the, the lockdown and football was suspended. So, I mean, two major results for them, really. Um, but I still think they'll make the top four. I mean, they've been indifferent in the league. Um, you know, lots of draws, um, not so many defeats. But I just feel they'll have enough uh, to get in the top four. Um, just I think they'll do what they usually do and grind out wins. Um, yeah. So, and, and to be fair, they've still got. I mean, they've still got so many good players. I mean, Yao Felix has been hit and miss, but if they can get some kind of. Um, get him into some form coming back I still think mm. they'll have enough I see they're trying today to try to get Carrasco's ex- uh, loan extended from China so yeah, fingers so crossed yeah. um, they'll, they'll have him but I, I feel it will be um, Barca Madrid Sevilla and Atletico Madrid will make the, the top four I think that's that's my prediction Yeah, um, which has generally been the top four for the last few seasons to be honest give or take yeah. and Valencia have been in and out um, but I just think Valencia will miss out this year yeah, yeah, it wouldn't really feel like Eurofit unless you had the, the likes of Atletico in that uh, in that shakeup. So yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens. We'll of course be across um, the, the the action when we next pod. Um, I want to um, shift gears across to yourself now, Drew, and, and just talk a little bit about the the Bundesliga. Um, and of course, we had um, the, the midweek matches in the cup as well. Um, 
I watched the Dortmund Hertha game uh, at the weekend. That's the only one I managed to catch. Interesting use, Joel, touching it there of, of the the crowd sound effects. Um, I'm not going to lie, it caught me completely unawares because I was like, "Oh, hang on, fans are back." I, I, I hadn't realised they were going to try that. How did you How did you find it, and and how are you sort of adjusting to? I guess since we last podded, have you found that the Bundesliga has changed in in terms of the approach? We've seen a Dortmund buying game since we last podded as well. Has the has the, the the sort of ferocity of the game changed? In your opinion, is it been more watchable? Uh, <clears throat> I would say, just in terms of a quality standpoint, it's gotten better. But you know, I think common sense would tell you that players were out of form for months on end, and you know, the more you play, it'll come back to you. So, unrelated Arsenal fans freaking out about losing a friendly because players aren't in form. <laughs> Kind of, someone's expected, you know, like just give it a couple of weeks, the players will be fine. No, the the quality is, is greatly improved, but um, you know, Dortmund started from a, a standpoint that was maybe better than the average competitor in the league. So um, they already kind of started with their head, you know, their heads down and, and doing what they needed to do. But um, regarding the crowd noise, the crowd noises, it was we, that, that happened two weeks ago as well. It wasn't just last weekend. Um, oh, they've okay. been, yeah, they've been testing it out. I mean, it's nice to give any semblance of some sort of atmosphere but mm. you know the, the manufactured nature of it it's, it's not the same it's kind of the same um things on loop and things are played based off of what happens in the match so i, I mean they're making the attempt to but it'll it'll never be the same but i think in some semblance of appreciation i think you know the players might like that maybe one percent of this authenticity that you're getting um I know yeah. we, we, we've all played, so sometimes it does help you just kind of hearing things of positivity, you know, from what is essentially a manufactured supporter base right now. So, um, yeah. Drew, I'm, Drew, just, yeah. just sorry, I've just got a question. In terms of the, the sound, is the music put through the PA system in the stadium or is it just through the TV feed? No, not music, sorry, the crowd effect. I'm pretty sure, I don't know, the way it, the way it comes through on my end, it sounds like you can hear echoing. So mm. it almost sounds like you can hear it at the matches i don't know though i will do the research i my, that was just my assumption um so my question i do know that obviously there's a lot of the the broadcasting people that are doing it in studio like they're not actually at the match so and usually it's for for us it's been a lot of the times it's people who give you the, the pre-match and post-match comments are the ones that are also doing the commentary it's not even a different team it's the same people so i'm not actually quite sure it might be on a case-by-case basis i don't really know um yeah. I'll look it up, but there's a good chance it is maybe just for the for the people at home. But I'm not even 100 percent sure. But that's a good question. So thanks for giving yeah. me homework yeah. or coffee. Yes, <laughs> so you can have a look into. Yeah. yeah. Um, in, in terms of on the pitch action, um, probably the big big game of the weekend, as well as the 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 Dortmund win over Hertha was was uh, Bayern Munich beating Leverkusen four mm-hmm. two. Um, two kind of stories come out of this really. One is is Bayern a, a looking effortlessly efficient once again. Um, I believe they also got through to the, the final of the German Cup last night as well, mm-hmm. DFB Pokal, um, winning 2-1 over Eintracht. Um, just quickly check stats. But um, the other story was about Kai Havertz's um, mysterious injury, ruled him out of the game and subsequent links with move to the Premier League. Just to pick up on that, first of all, we've seen the Timo Werner story develop. It seems like that's a done deal to Chelsea now, all, all over yeah. while the shouting. Um, is is Kai the next player that that we're we're looking at as moving on from the Bundesliga? Do you think? Because I feel like it's a year too soon if, if he was to move on. 
I would agree. I think it's a year too soon. I think even Michael Ballack came out and said that you know he's at a really good place right now with Leverkusen for his development. You know, he's there. He for me is their key player. You know, he's going to be getting probably some semblance of European football next season. It, it might not be Champions League, but you know, Leverkusen have more than enough in the tank to get Europa League at bare minimum. Um, and he's guaranteed to play. You know, he'll get some rotation sometimes when you know he needs a bit of a rest. But I think right now it's it's not going to be. Say, for example, if he was to go to someone like Chelsea, you know, think about how many good young players Chelsea have centrally. There will need to be more rotation. You know, I don't think with buying Timo Werner, still having Tammy Abraham there, he's not going to be playing as a number nine for Chelsea, in my opinion, obviously. So what would be the point of going to a place where all of a sudden you're thrust from being the key component to a Leverkusen side and then going to a Chelsea side where you're going to be constantly, in theory, competing every week? And you can speak to the fact of what his current ability already is, and he it would put him ahead of someone like a Mason Mount or whatever have you. But all it would take is a couple of matches of poor form to then, you know, someone else can can take that um, opportunity, and then all of a sudden he's he's in the real competition for a place. So for me, I think it's a year too soon. Um, I don't think he'll go to Chelsea just for the aforementioned reason. I think Chelsea have too many players essentially where. I don't think they need to spend money on the front of anything. They should be spending on the center back, you know, maybe on a on a left back uh, replacement for Marcus Alonso, who questionably is 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 <laughs> inconsistent. We'll say, um, getting, on well, yeah. getting on a bit as well. Yeah, he's pushing thirty. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. My worry would be United. You know, they're always still interested in bringing in big named young players. Obviously, with the persistent yet central links as well. Um, no one knows what's going to happen with Paul Pugba's future there. If he moves on, then you could even see them looking at Havertz as, as the direct replacement for him, and they'll have the cash for it as well, yeah. without question. Um, they'll meet the you know Leverkusen's demands for the price without a problem if that, if that was to occur. So, um, but then you also have to consider Bayern. But again, Bayern are a team with Hansi Flick that the recruitment's a little bit different now. There's a reason why, you know, there's links with Thiago potentially leaving despite no matter how good he has been for Bayern since he's been there. And he's not even getting up there in age just yet. Even he might be facing, you know, dropping, but Leon Goretzka had a struggled mightily there and he had to <laughs> pull a Hulk move to, to be able to survive the, the new requirements with the new manager. So one never really knows. I, it's certain that he will leave. That's without question. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think one more year at a place where he's guaranteed to play would, would make the most sense. But he's outgrown Leverkusen already in terms of what he can offer. And I think that was always the expectation is that there's no way of, of keeping him. The only way to keep him would be to maybe go ahead and win the league. But Leverkusen just don't have that in them. So um, it's yeah. a matter of, you know, it's a matter of when, not if. But um, I do think one more year would really, really, really suit. For me, it's going to be. And obviously, you know, Joel can speak to some some examples from Spain as well. I know um, Josh can, likely from um, from the championship or even in England, where you have a young player who, who who's doing quite good and has outgrown his current employer, but it doesn't mean they're ready for the next bigger jump. So mm-hmm. you think of Memphis Depay as the prime example. I use that all the time because Memphis Depay, he wasn't just smashing in there at Divisi every week. He was playing incredibly well for the Dutch national team. He was playing well in Champions League. So it wasn't just on the domestic front where he was playing well, but you could still tell that despite his ability and his potential, it was just too soon for him. you know. Um, and then he went to United instead of doing a move where it would be from maybe, say, the Netherlands to France or Germany and then to United. Mm-hmm. For me, it's not that Havertz should 
that when he leaves, he shouldn't go to a bigger club. It's more of he has to just pick the right one. But with all due respect and credit to him, he's shown incredible maturity and in, in, you know his friendship with Julian Brandt, who was very, very level-headed, who avoided interest from bigger clubs than Dortmund, decided to go to Dortmund for a, a bunch of different reasons. One, because he didn't want to leave Germany. Two, because it was a natural progression of going from Leverkusen to a side who was expected to challenge in Germany. They're expected to, to perform in Europe. So the expectations are quite high, and also it doesn't really hamper his ability to break into and stay into the German side. So um, there's a lot of things to consider. But yeah, yeah. and and of course the two um, will meet again in the, in the podcast final because Leverkusen uh, came through the other semi-final three 0 winners over Saarbrücken. I think are they German third tier, right? fourth tier, fourth tier. Jesus. Um, so mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so we will see Leverkusen, Munich, uh, or Bayern in the final on the third of July, I believe it is. Yep. So. Um, he has another opportunity to shine. Um, I don't want to focus too much more on on Bayern because we've got a couple of other things to mention. Mm-hmm. But just just sort of very briefly, are they favourites for the Champions League? They've come back earlier. They're probably going to be further advanced in terms of their playing time. I would. I think so. And if you if you really look at it, and the thing that we've we've mentioned before, and I've, I've talked to with, with people on Twitter, it's that. You look at the team, and it's it's not even just about the, the quality they have in every single area of the pitch. It's the balance of the team and their ability to react to certain opponents and, and a lot of different tactical issues that can potentially arise. And they have a lot of really good experienced key players in key areas. And, and I know, and we've mentioned about this before, one of the prime examples of that is you have Alfonso Davis, who continues to shine and, and, and progress as a young player. But... You've, you've seen how well David Alba has come on as a as a left center back, despite being a fullback for the entirety of his career, and it just shows you that level of experience, the commitment, how hard these players are working under the new manager to really fit into what the team needs right now. That's one of the key ingredients for me that they, they can take a team far. You know, the, the right pieces are firing at the right time. Robert Lewandowski has been absolutely fantastic, and I think there's no question in my mind that he's the best number nine in Europe. You have um, Thomas Müller being revitalized is huge. They were just talking about this yesterday before the match that you have a player who everyone lauded his goal record for Germany. You know, his first two World Cups, he bagged 10 goals. He was scoring goals left, right, center, especially at club level. And all of a sudden now he's become one of the chief creators. And look at his assist record right now this season as well. So you have players who Flicks come in and and he's he's figured out the things that he needs from the players to, to, to best put the results on the table. And they've all, without any sort of complaint they've all adjusted to that and they've all been playing incredibly well and you know when you can bring some of the players they have on the bench to rotate in you in europe and then it's just i I would say you'd have to and i think form matters you know and there's seven points clear in the league with four matches to go that's essentially done it would take a monumental collapse from them to to not see out the league so they can now actually turn a bigger eye to europe and with the amount of rotation they can pull in um, for the league, they should be fine there as well. So, yeah, yeah. I think you think you'd have to consider it one hundred percent. Yeah. When did yeah, the, when did the new season start, Drew? When did the when did the new season or when does when, when does the, does the new season start? So when does next season start in Germany? I want to say, from as far as I know, I'm pretty sure that they're trying to keep it roughly around the same time because they do like to keep. Um, the winter pause, and they like to have that sort of three and a half week month period. That's kind of kind of essential to the way they, they structure the league. So 
again, that's something I'll kind of have to double check and I'll get back to just to mm. make a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure they want to kind of keep it similar. Worst case scenario, if it doesn't start in August, it'll start late early September would be my guess. If I had to really ask, given the way that they can structure it, I don't think they want to have a scenario where they're playing too many league fixtures in midweek if they're starting later, because that, you know, they do like to, the Bundesliga does a really good job of making sure that the league schedule can uh, help out the mm. teams that are playing in Europe avoid fixture congestion, that they give them the right amount of time to recover. You know, that is kind of one of the things that, you know, one of the reasons why I like the way they schedule the league. So, yeah. The only reason I ask is you, you could end it with almost a, a PSG type scenario for Munich, couldn't you? Where, you know, the, 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 if the gap's too great, they then become out of form almost yeah. by not playing. In going into this two-week Champions League that is being talked about to happen in some stage in late August, isn't it? I think from the middle of August to the end of August. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, um, a, that's a fair point. Because but... they've gone so early, yeah. it could be a lag of four weeks where they're not actually playing competitive games, whereas the English teams uh, and particularly the Spanish teams are going to have maybe have more advantage because they're playing competitive fixtures in the run-up to the Champions League. Yeah. Um, that's a, and that's where Paris will fall foul, I'm sure, of this, and 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 Leon if they get through. Yeah, I, I mean that's actually a really fair point. I didn't even really consider it from the other angle of how Champions League is scheduled. But for me, you'd have to imagine that mm. the way Bayern is run, the way Flick trains them as a manager, that either they'll have an earlier comeback from uh, their time off to focus that in mind, or they'll try to get prepared with with just with doing friendlies. You know what I mean? I, I don't think we're going to have a scenario, obviously you're not going to have like the International Champions Cup that you would have before, so that's kind of out of the window. And then most clubs don't take that seriously in the first yeah. place. Um, yeah, I, th- I think they'll I think they'll structure their, you know, their, their summer program with that in mind. I, I do think they're going to want to target it. Um, yeah, and yeah, that's, that's probably all I, I could probably say with any amount of certainty, but. Yeah, it's um, it's one to keep a close eye on in terms of the new start or start dates for new leagues and of course the, that European competition if, if it comes around. One team that that won't be in Europe next year um, is is Werder Bremen. We we did touch on them in the last podcast, but they've since um, they played Eintracht Frankfurt at home, a team hopelessly out of form and sure. lost three nil. Uh, not not ideal. Um, and then they played at home again at the weekend and lost to Wolfsburg one nil uh, to a late goal. They are in some serious shite right now, aren't they? I mean, they're now three points adrift in 17th. Uh, Fortuna Dusseldorf have kind of had a little bit of a run where they, they've only lost one in five. Um, Mainz, Union Berlin, Augsburg above them have all got enough on their day, you'd think, to pick up some results. And Werder are in, they're in a perilous position right now, aren't they? Is, is, that, is, is this one that, that you think is going to be another Hamburg, potentially, a, a giant club dropping to the second tier? Yeah, I just kind of think, it's, it's, it's tough to say, like, or tough to see, rather, just, you know, kind of what's going on at the moment, especially because, you know, before this season, you they had a manager in Florian Kohlfeldt, who a lot of people were tipping for, for some big things, given, you know, his kind of, his, his pedigree, as he's built up to becoming a manager. But if you look at it, there's a few issues. One, they just don't have the money to really recruit well enough to, to keep themselves out of the, you know, in the top half comparative to, to people around them. Tactically, they're, they, they've been, you know, not very good. And then also you have someone like Yuri Pavlenko, who before going to Werder, I would, I would have put him in a discussion as one of the 
top three or four keepers in the Bundesliga, but even he has kind of struggled. This is going defensively. Mm-hmm. The organization is is poor. I think there's just so many problem areas. There's a lot of things that balances off in the eleven. A lot of the time, you have you, know, you don't really have a really big source of goals. You, you, they brought in someone like Nicholas Fulkrug, who uh, was kind of their answer to solving the goal question, but that's not really settled quite well. You know, uh, Davy Salki went to the club. He's not scored any any goal at all since the season since being there. Their top scorer, Mila Rashika, likely is leaving this summer, and the rumor is he's going to go to Leipzig if and when Timo Werner leaves. So it's just, I think, in every facet of anything they can put on the table, <laughs> nothing, has, nothing has panned out for them. Um, they also did have big injury issues earlier on in the season that did not help get them get the ball rolling for them. So also they started off already at a deficit when it comes to that, and they kind of just exasperated moving forward from that. So um, I just don't see them actually kind of getting themselves out of it. It's going to take a couple monumental results. And you would assume that, you know, going away to Paderborn, you know, this coming weekend would, would be three points in the bag, but... <laughs> Paderborn has just, you know, what I'm saying? well, a not to be offensive, of course, but B Paderborn <laughs> still have every chance to, to get at least a decent result. They can pull a draw out of that. They're only five points behind Verder. Both of them are you know, trying to avoid the drop. So Paderborn has everything to play for. That's a six pointer. If they get yeah. that result against Verder, all of a sudden, you know, they're only five points back if Fortuna, assuming Fortuna don't beat Borussia Dortmund, then they're only two points back off Verder. So mm-hmm. um, it's all to play for for them. And then I think the match after Paderborn, they have. Let me just double check. Uh, oh, yeah, they have Bayern at home. So even if they win against oh, Paderborn, three points, yeah, yeah, they have they have Bayern. So yeah, I yeah. think I think they're in dire straits. And unfortunately, I think we'll see them. I don't think they're going to save themselves. You know, even if they get to that that promotion playoff um, or the relegation playoff from, from there, and that's not going to be an easy fixture either because then you're going to potentially have someone like maybe Stuttgart, who mm. have been in, in, in pretty solid form. So yeah. Um, and that that game with with Paderborn, I mean, looking at the looking at the team's defensive and attacking side, is either going to be the most horrendous nil nil draw you've ever seen, or <laughs> seven all. Like, I mean, both teams have conceded more than sixty goals this season. Both teams have only scored thirty or thirty three for Paderborn. You'll, you'll find this interesting as well. If Werder get that relegation playoff spot and Hamburg stay third and the Bundesliga is fine, there's going to be that derby to see who goes up or comes down. Imagine, yeah. So that would be, be huge, actually. That would, I would actually even watch that. And I normally don't watch the the, the playoff, but that would be yeah. that would be pretty pretty classic, actually. That'd be so, worth a watch, yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Um, just finally, before I um unleash, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to unleash Josh on, on the EFL. <laughs> you can see he's just he's like he's like bouncing in his chair. He can't wait to get started. Oh, I deliberately left him to last so that he can finish typing up his notes. But um, um, the last thing I just just wanted to touch on in the Bundesliga was was Hertha. We did mention them before. Uh, they did lose that that game to Dortmund. They kind of, to me, watching that game, they they just kind of ran out of ideas. They had some some decent opportunities, but nothing concrete. Like they didn't have a focal point for me. It didn't look like they were ever going to score. What is Project Hertha like at the moment? Because it was all kind of, it was all a big. Well, they're going to sign all these players in January, Klinsman and everything, and then that all went a bit wonky. And now they seem to be back into a, a stable position where they are building towards the future. Are they a club that we should be keeping an eye on? Uh, over the summer um, in terms of recruitment in or out? I think absolutely because, you know, they'll have the financial backing now to really sort of kind of bring in the players that, you know, they can't compete with 
in terms of like Dortmund and such, but the players just under that level, they'll, they'll be competing with someone like Leverkusen for, for, for top for, for, for talent of that level. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is Bruno Levity has done an excellent job since coming in to really kind of rein them in. Tactically, they're much improved. Um, the technical ability in their game has also improved. They're not as painstakingly painful to watch anymore, which is, which is plus, but also one of the biggest things that everyone always talks about is, you know, they're the capital club and, and they're miles behind everybody else. And you don't normally see that. If you, if you think about it in Spain, you have Madrid, you have Atletico Madrid and England, you have however many clubs in them, you know, Arsenal and Chelsea chief among them. Um, and in Italy, you have Rome, Roma and Lazio. So, you know, <laughs> Berlin's kind of an interesting thing, you know, Union Berlin, it's good that there's now a Berlin Derby in the top flight for Germany, but the fact that both their clubs are at best can, hope for mid-table before the season. It's kind of telling, and everyone would always speak about that's one of the unique things about Germany. So now that you have the, the big capital club with financial backing, with a manager who has gotten to play improved football, you have to assume that maybe they're going to want to quickly put themselves in the discussion to get into the Europa League places next season. And given what happens with a few other clubs around them, I would say they maybe have a potential shot. I think Labadie has done an excellent job with them. Um, they already have a good solid core of, of players they can really build for build with Luca Bacchio's done quite well there. Um Yolaro Del Rosen is a player that everyone always talks about. Now, Mateus Kuna that was brought in from every Leipzig and he was struggling there and now he's gone to to Hertha and he has four goals and seven appearances since since moving and he's played less than five hundred and fifty minutes of football. So he's he settled in and Christoph Piatek is there as well. So they have a good attacking core of younger players. Um they have a couple of good defenders, you know Middlestead's only 23, uh, Turin Arig is only 22, so Arne Meyer is still there, and people forgot that he existed because of a string of injuries, but he was a very good young player in his own right before that, so um, they've got some ingredients to really kind of kickstart and move that project forward long-term, and over the next two or three seasons, I think the goal for them should not 100% be to, to consistently break into the top six and, and build off that, and I think that's something that one of the only things that Bundesliga is missing is having you know a team in the capital that was worthwhile watching every week and if they can really pull that off especially with the ground they have the olympia stadium considering how the size of it that's another source of income if they can sell that out every week imagine you know, over seventy thousand mm -hmm. people they're going to have a similar situation that dorton has so um yeah i think definitely moving forward over the next two seasons they're going to want to be uh, i think people should focus on them i think if they do it right as long as they don't go we've seen this before though as long as they don't go the route of someone like a Newcastle and just start spending money left, right, and center, but spending it on all the wrong targets, it's going to backfire. So as long as their recruitment stays focused with the ones that they do have and they don't um, neglect the development of the young players that are already at the club, I think you're looking at a team that can potentially quickly get themselves into discussion to be in the top six every season. So. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those it's one of those teams, isn't it? Just to keep a little eye on, just to see what mm -hmm. happens, and then we can judge, we can all judge um, for for potentially the the new season. Um, right, okay, thank you for for that, um, Josh. It's your time to shine now. Um, it, it, it's is this is that complicated that, that Joel's come back right in time <laughs> to, you, to you talk? So um, for those people who don't know, um, give us a. Give us a whistle-stop tour of what's happened. We'll keep the Premier League separate because we'll all discuss that in a minute. But in terms of EFL, Championship, Leagues 1 and 2, um, lots happened this week. So yes. give us a, a whistle-stop tour of, of what has been decided and, and the outcomes of those decisions. Well, I'm going to start with the easy one. The Championship <laughs> will be back uh, sooner than the Premier League. 
Uh, no, sorry, not sooner than the Premier League. Premier League's got some uh, fixtures in on Wednesday. Uh, yeah, next week. Mm. Uh, so Saturday twentieth is when we'll see the Championship kick off again. Uh, I'm sure Joel is possibly not best pleased with the Championship coming back with predicament hollering at the moment. Um, but I'm sure we'll mention form tables elsewhere across the EFL. Um, so yeah, that kicks off with Fulham versus Brentford. Uh, it's the first fixture back for them. Uh, and they expect to kind of roll through their fixture list a bit like the Premier League will do as well. Uh, still expecting playoffs from that. They haven't done anything different really with that league. That's just coming back. Um then we get to, well, which one do you want, Chris? Do you want, they're both pretty extraordinary stories. We've got League One yeah. and League Two. Um, go, go from the bottom up. Go from, we'll go two from the up. bottom up. Okay, so the EFL this week had what they called an extraordinary general meeting uh, <laughs> with everybody, all the chairman of the league, of the clubs that this was going to affect. So that was League One, League Two, uh, to ask them what they were going to do. In League Two, uh, it was 23 out of 24 chairmen agreed to curtail the league. The only team that wanted to play on, interestingly, was Forest Green Rovers, um, mainly because their form is actually quite good and they could have snuck into a playoff place, maybe, if football would come back. I think because they're so small, they're not as... Um, they're not as kind of they didn't really need the gate receipts as much. And Dale Vince, if anybody doesn't know, owns a huge um, energy company, looks after a lot of the wind farms around the UK. So he's not short of a few pennies if they need, did need any extra uh, cash influx to get them kind of through this period, mm. um, which can't always be said for other clubs at that kind of point. But we do have some definitives from League Two. Swindon, Crew and Plymouth are all up. Um, (laughs) And they are going to play playoffs, which uh, is kind of interesting because I'm not really sure how how those teams feel about or what kind of friendlies they're going to be able to really get in uh, Mm. in that time. But it is Colchester versus Exeter and Northampton versus Cheltenham who are going to be the, the teams in the playoffs. And then who's going down? <laughs> this is where it might take a little longer. Look at the table, it says Stevenage. Um, so interesting from this, they, I should say for both methods to finish the league, they've used points per game and they've just gone a flat points per game. There's no um, form guides been used in this or anything else um, because, you know, what? The, the more metrics you kind of add into this, the more remote, deeper you go, oh, this isn't fair, this isn't fair, this isn't fair. And to be fair, football kind of isn't fair. You know, how many of these teams have been caught out because there's penalties that haven't been given in their 12th game in the match week uh, that could have cost them a couple of points in this whole scenario. So I think that what they've done, um, or at least they voted upon this way of finishing, there were other proposals from memory, Tranmere put one together that, um, we'll get onto them, but favourably had Tremere go staying up. Um, and Barnsley, I think, were the other one, other club that put together a proposal, as well as the EFL just going in straight with here's here's what we think we should do, and you guys just vote on it. Yeah, just to yeah. kind of steer the meeting. And it turned out that they're one of just points per game curtail the season, 
the one they were going to go with. So, yeah, I say Stevenage, they are bottom of the table at the moment. However, Macclesfield, who are just above them, um, they are three points above Stevenage. There is only one club going down as well, just say from League Two this year, due to Berry. Uh, if you remember, all the way earlier in the season, unfortunately, having to fold and left the EFL. Um, so, yeah, Macclesfield didn't pay or were a bit late with their March wages, which isn't the first time they've been late with wages this season. Um, you know, it's been, they've been docked points for it before, let's put it that way this season for it. And there is a disciplinary hearing ongoing of whether or not they should be docked further points for this indiscretion. If they had docked more than three, well, if they docked three points on points per game, uh, they would go down. No, points per game, yes, they'd go down. But if they're docked it from their overall points per game total, this is where it gets confusing, they'd stay up. There's some mm. odd maths in here, depending on where it gets taken from. And this is one of the big disputes they're also happening is Maxfield captain has said, well, you're taking the seven points off our overall total, not off our points per game, which is how you should do it. And basically they're all trying to find ways where it could come to their benefit. Mm. But I think the long short of it is, I think that um, if I was going to dock Macclesfield any wage, uh, any points for this, I'd give them a hefty enough, uh, you know, points deduction that doesn't matter which way you split it, you're going down. Mm because I think it's just going to cause so many issues in here. And uh, another reason, another thing they also need to sort out is when is the national league going to come back? Because they yeah. don't want to relegate a side who then doesn't have football for yeah. potentially, well, Chris, I know you're a few more steps down the pyramid than yeah. uh, with your Sunday league side. But in terms of when you're expecting to go back into kind of just Sunday league football, it's mm. not going to be this side of Christmas, I imagine. Uh, I, I, yeah, my, my personal view is, is it won't be. Um, other people uh, locally seem to think because the, you, you've got the issue of the, because, um, of the latest UK rules that states you can essentially hold a training session of, of groups of six. A lot of teams down here, um, local size or you know grassroots teams, have, have now gone back to training which i still think is mad um so they're all out in parks and groups of six but if you're a club like mine where it's just me managing it you can't really patrol and keep command of people like that so yeah i i think um realistically for me i'd be surprised if about before christmas and surely that would be the same for national league or clubs without high-end facilities you'd think yeah i think that's a kind of imagine maybe that some some teams are more suited. It's weird in the kind of national league. You have got some fairly big league clubs there. Uh, you've still got kind of Hereford down there from memory. Um, AFC Fylde have got like brand new facilities, uh, being quite a small um, or had recent big investment. It was similar to kind of Salford City in that mm. kind of regard with how much investment they've had in their facilities. So there are some clubs there that would be better placed to deal with it rather than others. But for the moment, the National League haven't said anything other than the fact that we kind of anticipate probably as early as Monday that Barrow, who were the champions 
or declared champions will be coming up to the league Ah, uh, under league football. So it's just a case of what will happen with this kind of Stevenage and Macclesfield. It's a case of one of these two teams is probably going to go down unless something extraordinary happens with the National League and they don't return until Christmas time. Yeah. Um, But as with everything with the EFL, it has been kind of slow moving. Uh, The initial meeting for how they were going to sort out the leagues was due to be done back in May, even uh, April, kind of end of April, it it was scheduled to be done. So yeah, it's not something they do particularly quickly. No, um, more efficiently. It would, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, what? What is there, did you want to touch on that? Uh, Mark Palios talk is that well. There, there's two two that I want to focus on really. Mm. Mark Palios of Tranmere and his proposal, and also yes. the the somewhat outspoken comments of uh, Darren Ferguson. Um, Darren Ferguson. Um, uh, Barry Fry from Peterborough. There's many. Yeah, there's many in league. One, the League Two chairman that kicked off. Yeah. Um, well, Stephen Edge have kicked off uh, by saying Macclesfield should go down because they didn't pay their players' wages. Yeah. Macclesfield are saying the EFL are against them. We shouldn't be docked points. Um, so it's getting very messy down at the bottom end, which is completely understandable when you look at the kind of, I think we said last time we were together, uh, Chris, that when you drop into the National League, there is a chance some of your players are then going to go part-time rather than full-time. The club goes semi-professional in some cases. Uh, That's a huge thing for for these clubs. Mm. Um, We'll get on to Tramiel when we go to League One about some of their problems that they've come out very vocal about the whole thing, Mm. Um, which hasn't necessarily helped when uh, Dale Vince, the Forest Green Rovers, uh, chairman has been baiting some of the Tranmere fans um, over the fact that they have been, uh, yeah, uh, they've been relegated mm. under this system. Yeah, but, it's, it's, it seems a strange yeah. choice of things to do as well, given their position. Um, yeah, they were they were quite healthy in the league. Um, he did get a lot of stick because I think he'd said it was the right decision. That overall, it was a sensible decision that he could tell the league, even though they wanted to kind of progress through it mm. uh, and continue playing. I think overall it's the right decision has been made, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Um, we, should we go to the unruly child of the EFL? That yes, is league yeah. one. <laughs> let's, let's, let's do the league one. Yeah. There's lots going um, on here. Yeah. So we'll start with the definites again, uh, Coventry city, uh, their first time they finished above fifth in about, I'm going to say about 20 years. Yeah. It's been at okay. least that. Um, it's been crazy what's been going on at Coventry, but they're finally back in the championship. Um, Great back as well, absolutely. Um, yeah, 67 points, so 34 games played as well. So most teams have played at least 35 in there. A few had had some decent cup runs, which we'll get to, which is why they played fewer games. Um, and Rotherham as well, uh, who are doing a bit of a, you'd say like a West Brom, bit of a yo-yo between uh, leagues, having just been relegated to League One, have come back straight back up to Championship. And looking at their squad, unless they don't do big investment, we'll probably see them in ne- in League One in the 2021 season. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the playoffs, which are also going to continue. Um 
they're going to be the only fixtures again uh the teams that in terms of the points and the way that the league was kind of sitting it was oxford united portsmouth fleetwood and peterborough who were going to go into the playoffs sitting third through sixth respectively however because of points per game cheeky little wick and wanderers who have got a game in hand uh, had only played 34 and were on the same points 59 as peterborough and uh, sunderland although sunderland have played 36 games have got a better points per game than oxford portsmouth and fleetwood who all had more points and peterborough united which then meant that peterborough then got kicked out of the playoff position uh, and Wickham go into third. So if you, if anybody you know has access to the BBC website or wants to have a look at the EFL table, you will see Wickham Wanderers in third on 59 points, then Oxford United, Portsmouth and Fleetwood below them on 60 mm-hmm. points. With no, <laughs> they've, they've missed out of the column for points per game that makes that table make sense. But for, yeah, it looks a little odd. Uh, at the moment and you can almost t- see understandably why Barry Fry director of football at Peterborough United is not best pleased about the situation good old Barry Fry <laughs> um, yeah because they have missed out unfortunately um, and yeah he he's very outspoken anyway I think is Mr Fry mm-hmm. um, so I think should we leave that one there <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll just yeah. move on uh, there was a few other um, jumping around in terms of the middle of the league as well um, Ipswich have recorded their lowest ever league position I think of 11th in the third tier of league football which isn't great for them um, and yeah then down to the bottom um, teams are going down Bolton Wanderers and Southend United was to be honest if you continued football, you could probably have said they were already down and saved the players, you know, three months of work because on 19 yeah. points and 14 points respectively, they were almost down anyway. They were doomed. Yeah. Were 30, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Tranmere Rovers are the team that unfortunately have been caught out by this. Um, in terms of points per game, they were on 34 points get played AFC Wimbledon are on 35 uh, three points difference between them but on goal difference and a bit of the how it kind of works with points per game yeah Tranmere are relegated um, they're pretty aggrieved generally because they went pretty heavy in terms of investment over January to try mm. and keep themselves up and I think that's one of the things that having the league kind of curtailed so early, those players were just getting into form. Yeah. Tranmere in their last five games picked up 10 points. So in terms of form tables, they're up there with kind of promotion. Um, yeah. Promotion leading form tables, which I think is where their biggest things come into because, you know, they've beaten some big teams and some rivals around them to get into that position. And for it to unfortunately be dashed and they've made, you know, this kind of proposal that their proposal kind of brought in form into it because of the fact that they've made this investment and they'd 
push so hard that they're on this great run of form that is almost gone. Well, actually, to be fair, you were rubbish for 30 games previous. So they've kind of ignored that <laughs> yeah. for them. Um, so you can kind of feel for them from that perspective. Um, I think they're now going on the very much, they've had to unfortunately make a lot of um, staff redundant because of the financial pressures that this has caused. Because mm. I think, to be honest, it, it would have happened if they ended up getting relegated anyway, that they'd have to let go of a lot of staff members. You hear it uh, up and down the leagues that, um, you know, the likes of like Sunderland like, and Villa, when they kind of had their big drops was because they went big every January to try and bring in big signings to give them those 12, 15, 20 points or so that they needed to keep them in the league. Tranmere did exactly that. It looked to be working for them. But because the league's been curtailed, they've, you know, kind of been been caught out by this. That they've done yeah, everything they kind left of. In a mess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is why, yeah, it's pretty. It's just pretty mad how it's kind of ended. But mm. it's kind of football isn't fair, as I kind of said. It's never really been fair. Um, I see how, you know. Tranmere will be uh, protesting the EFL anthem when it plays before every game in the same way Man City do with uh, the Champions League. But yeah, yeah, I kind of, yeah, it's one of those that's not, not ideal for Tranmere um, fans. And yeah, they're, they're going to be probably one of the most vocal um, EFL teams you'll see across this period, as well as Peterborough, because they've both been a little bit shafted by yeah. the system. Um, yeah, it, 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 feel, it feels to me a little bit like, um, yeah, it, it feels to me a little bit like the championship you kind of understood coming back. Um, yeah, they're they're big enough, the championship, in terms of yeah. the teams that they've got, that they can maintain social distancing and in terms of finances of like running the club. You yeah. say for some uh, League One, especially League Two sides, the furlough um, system that's in place is actually covering a lot of these clubs, especially lower yeah. down the division where, you know, we talk about players that earn, you know, £60,000 a week. Down there, it's £60,000 mm. a year, £30,000 a year. And that yeah. the furlough system does help them. You know, it is a lot of the playing staff are on these systems and managers as well. Yeah. Down at that level. It's so, nice. Yeah. It's kind of a weird setup, isn't it, in terms of financially? Cause you, you just look at those clubs in League 1 and League 2 and you, you do, whatever happens, somebody was going to get screwed. Um, yeah. Which uh, I might, before we finish there, I'll touch on what's happened in France this week where it's all been reversed. I do wonder if there might be some kind of some kind of uh, story to run and run. Um, I guess we'll, we'll see with that. But I do just want to... Mm kind of open the open the, the floodgates a little bit to the other guys as well in terms of we've we've got the Premier League back next week. Um or that is coming back next week. We've got um is it Villa Villa and Sheffield United and Arsenal Man City next next Wednesday, I think it is. It is Wednesday. Uh, yeah. And we and we've seen things gradually creeping back in. Um let me ask uh, let me ask Drew first of all. Drew are you are you sort of looking forward to having um, Premier League, obviously, we, we sort of, uh, you, yourself, me, and, and Josh all follow Arsenal, as, as listeners will probably know by now. 
Are you kind of looking forward to it based on the, on what you've seen with Bundesliga football? Do you think the Premier League will go down a very similar avenue or do you think the quote-unquote greatest league in the world will suffer because <laughs> of what's going on at the moment? Well, I'm not looking forward to the fan base overreactions every week. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> no, no, at, at, at no point. Um, it's it's going to be tricky for me. I kind of feel like <clears throat> there's such a – whereas for me, Bundesliga has more parity in terms of – club's ability to all the club's ability to, to, to get their players back to a certain level the culture are all very similar despite clubs being very different I think in the Premier League you have so many different potential ideologies based off of management because there's so many different types of managers in the league that are, are from different backgrounds you have the um, ownership that thinks a little bit differently I, I think it might actually take the Premier League just a little bit more time to get things up to scratch maybe that you might see in Bundesliga doesn't mean it won't happen um, I just think it might not be as straightforward. Um, mm -hmm. Everything in Germany is far much more streamlined with the Premier League. Still, it seems like every club is it's very much their own entity, and and they only come together globally as you know for for the English football community on certain on certain matters. But after that, it's very much we're separate. We're doing our kind of thing this way. You're doing your thing that way. So I'm not quite sure how how it's going to pan out. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's just my initial thought. Um, hopefully, <laughs> Arsenal's form continues. You know, went in uh, to the break, you know, undefeated in six in the league. So, I mean, it would be nice if that was, was to continue. But, um, yeah, I mean, for base level value thought, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. So Yeah, yeah. So, it's going to be a quite a weird experience, um, just having so much football as well. Um, mm -hmm. John, I wanted to bring that up with you. Uh, how do you sort of feel about... Uh, particularly, obviously, you follow Hull and the championship. Mm -hmm. the, the focus is, I, I, feel, I feel like, the way it's been reported, and as Josh has touched on there, I feel like it's all been focused on the Premier League. There, there's been very little discussion about the championship and the fact that we could have, um, you know, for, for good or bad, we could have Leeds United back in the Premier League, West Brom are flying high. There's some quite big clubs down the bottom end. Um, for me, like, the championship is actually quite exciting. Has there been a... Has there been sort of quite a lot of excitement in terms of from a whole perspective and, and they're fighting to stay up, of course. But is, um, it, is, it, is it exciting for you to have it back? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting since we were last on. Well, we last were together and I was on with, with you guys. It was what will it look like? How will it be? There were so many unknowns. And I think now it's it almost feels like we're ready for it back. And it almost feels like seeing the Bundesliga, how it's worked, that it's going to feel it feels right for it to come back. So I guess there's some excitement. I mean, directly from a whole perspective, we was I mean, hoping the season would end with the players as they are at this minute. But that said, it was on a horrendous run with loads of injuries. So who knows how it will all come back. Um, I mean, there's still a lot to play for in the Championship, isn't there? There's the, there's the top two, which Leeds Westbrook will probably go up, you'd think. The playoffs is then up for anybody. And then there's a relegation as well. So, it feels right. It's coming back. I think. I think what we, you know, we maintain from the start was if they can do it safely and, it, and it, the conditions are right for it to come back, then it should. And I feel like at this point now, especially with the success the Bundesliga has been in terms of the getting it back and getting it back safely, then I think it's right. It should come back. Mm. Um, and that said, the same for the Premier League as well. I think we're we're all ready for it now, and and I think we're. I think there's still a lot to play for in terms of that. Obviously, Liverpool will get there get the trophy which they need and they've wanted for so long but there's still a lot to play for in the Premier League as well I mean the top four is tight we need the relegation sorting now in, in, in terms of the, that's tight in terms of this five or six teams who are 
could potentially go down at this point. So I, I feel I feel now there's an excitement in terms of it feels right. I think before there was an, an anxiety about it that is it right for it to come back? Is football more important than people's lives? And clearly it's not still. But I feel with the way it's going in the Bundesliga and, and the test figures we're getting week on week and day and day in terms of players tested, and um, the environment feels right for it to come back and come back safely. Clearly, we're miles away from fans going back into ground in, in terms of, you know, the thought of 60,000 people in the stadium now just feels odd. Yeah. How long that will feel odd for, we don't know. But I feel this is the next best solution that we've got. Um, and this is probably going to be until the end of the year in terms of how it's set up now. So I feel we need to get used to it. Um, but I'm looking forward to it coming back now. Um, yeah. it's, it's felt like a weird it's like one of those summers where we don't have a tournament you know, yeah, where, yeah, that's, yeah. you know what I mean yeah. you don't have the Euros of the World Cup and it's like a, it's just dragged and it's felt like that the last yeah, year yeah. we have I think at first it was a little bit like you know football's not important I think as long as it's gone on we've all started to get more excited and seeing teams back training and, mm. and transfer talks picked up again and players moving and it's feeling a little bit more back to normality, even though it's so far from that. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, Josh, I'm going to give you a nice, a nice, fun topic. Uh, but I just want your opinion on, um, which is less statistical and, and doesn't require you to look as much up. So hopefully, this will be nicer for you. Uh, Lyle Taylor, um, what's your thoughts on this? For those people who don't know this story, Lyle Taylor is a 30 year old striker at Charlton Athletic. He's done the He's done his due diligence in terms of he's been around the clubs that he's been at Wimbledon and he's played some lower league. Um, a, 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 a deal to join a, a higher club. I don't think it's actually been officially confirmed whom, although I, I, I think it was Brentford we're fishing in January. But apparently there is a deal that he has got a contract offer to join a bigger club than Charlton in inverted commas. He's essentially come out this week and said... Nah, I'm done. Um, I'm being honest. I don't, you know, I don't want to put myself out there. I don't want to risk injury, etc. Um, and Lee Bowyer, for me, somewhat surprisingly, has kind of backed him and said he he's done brilliantly. Well, I don't know where I sit on this one. Do you do you admire the honesty of the player essentially downing tools, or do you think that that's not acceptable given the fact that he's still got a duty? And as I think as Chris Sutton said on the BBC. He's essentially he's breaching his contract by refusing to play. So in theory, shouldn't be paid or should be sacked. So where do you where do you sit on that one? I mean, there's going to be a lot of these about players that are kind of out of contract or expecting to be elsewhere come the 30th of June. Mm. Uh, in terms of games that Lyle Taylor's going to miss, should we put in inverted commas that if his contract was going to be there and he'd move on? which he would be totally entitled to do. Uh, he's only missing, I think, two fixtures for them. Uh, a game against Hull City and then QPR, I think, are the only ones that fall fall in that side. Um, and then the rest are in July. So I think from that point of view, I kind of see where he's at. In terms of the club and why probably Lee Bowie has gone from, he's like, look, you're going to miss... To two games for us in the grand scheme of things at least he knows about it at least he's been honest and he's not you know we're not talking like the game you know 27th of june he's just finished against qpr scored a hat trick and then <laughs> said oh yeah by the way i'm off on wednesday or whenever the 30th so happens to fall um because we've just seen similar happening um at liverpool for example uh mm. nathaniel klein who's out of contract 
Liverpool have said, we're not renewing it, 30th of June, pack out your locker, see you later. And they're, mm. you know, huge sides. We know their kind of finances, pushing for the uh, Premier League title, chance for Klein to get, you know, Premier League's medal, uh, you know, potentially, if he foresees certain fixtures. Um, I don't know how many he's played for Liverpool, on the top of my head, how many appearances, how close he is to that number but I think of many to be fair yeah but bearing in mind they did similar with Moreno he ended up with a Premier um, Champions League medal bearing yeah, in mind true, he yeah. hadn't played a lot in that campaign so you know there's I think it's you know shaft before you're shafted kind of thing mm, yeah. <laughs> he's just made his move and at least he's in control of his destiny and to be fair if he's got a contract already signed sealed and sorted and Lee Bowyer said, oh, it's ridiculous. What does it matter to him anyway? He's leaving in less than two weeks. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I kind of back him for that kind of decision and just for complete honesty. And yeah. you know what? He might line up for Charlton for the next couple of games. And Bowyer's just said to him, yeah, he, he's had a change of heart. Mm. But at least he's given him that option. Yeah, I don't know where I. I don't know how I'd feel as a manager. I, I I tend to sort of come down on the side of dereliction of duty a bit from a player. I I sort of feel. Yeah, but don't you think it's because of his age? I mean, he's thirty. I mean, yeah, you completely see it from his perspective. He's been offered a four-year contract. Yeah, and maybe a Premier League club. I see Bournemouth linked or Celtic linked as well. Mm. I think if he's twenty-one, you're probably not doing that because you feel that. Even if you've got a really bad injury, you'll be out for six months. You're still 22. You can go get and that move would still be there, I think, at 30. I mean, if he goes and if he hasn't signed the contract because he can't with this club and he goes and does his cruise shoot in his first yeah. game back, he's not getting that deal, is he? He's not getting the four-year yeah. contract on, on huge wages. Mm. So I, I, can, I can completely see both sides from it, to be honest. And, and like, but clubs are quick to do it, like you just said, on your client. Clubs will have to do it to players, so players really have got a right to do it to clubs like too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose yeah. in theory he could do his cruise shirt slipping downstairs at home, couldn't he? And the club would, would bin him off. So yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's also it's not like they're short in the striking department no. as well. They've got someone like Tom Mohamed, um, who I'll know from my time at Brighton. Um, <laughs> yeah, Brighton legends. <laughs> In terms of he knows how to score at that level, that's kind of his level. He could easily get them 10 goals for the rest of the season. He'll be the hero that keeps them up and nobody will be talking about Lyle Taylor. This only will come up if, you know, their four other forwards go on a massive scoring drought. Yeah. Yeah. And then to be honest, it's his his fault, to be fair. If teammates don't pull a weight. Yeah, I do take that that, that side of the argument. Um, and I think in Tom Hammer he played for Mallorca as well, Joel. I'm sure, he did. I think so yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We got him from Almira. Can I say I hope he did? Otherwise, um, Mallorca, Mallorca was yeah. yeah. Mallorca was his club before. He's in between. Yeah. Um, the other sort of um, quick topic I wanted to, wanted to ask Drew on in particular on this one. Um, Drew, there's there's talk of Man City. Well, there is there is ongoing talk of. Man City uh, with this whole um, uh, sort of Champions League banning and whatnot. Cass have, have restarted their claim um, or the, the, the discussions have restarted. Um, Man City have sort of essentially said, no matter what it costs, we will fight this, blah, 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 blah. 
it is a bit of double standards coming. And I, I wanted to ask you about this because obviously it, it could be something that, that Bayern might have to answer questions of in the long run as well with regards to how they're managed. Nothing at this stage, but it's something that people have discussed before. Well, I don't really understand why Man City are able to challenge this, really. They've, they're, they're banged to rights. They've been done for... They've essentially admitted they breached fair play. Do you think that they're going to get away with this? Uh, or as is t- there's talk, that they might just get a hefty fine or the ban will be halved. Surely you're either guilty or you're not. Like, See, just I, the, for me, I think it's directly correlated to the fact that you have so many people that are in bed with the larger yeah. authorities in UEFA and FIFA, especially when you have particular ownership groups have, have can and have can be and will be directly linked mm-hmm. to those positions of authority. There's no point at that, at that point. So I think for me, it's it was simple. You, you can't look at it at a case by case basis. If you're found to breach certain rules, here's the fine. It doesn't matter who you are, and that's that's it. And I think that's one of the things Arsene Wenger maybe wants to kind of champion is yeah. is, is ridding the corruption that's obviously rife with the you know. With the football and hierarchy and, and just everything needs to be streamlined right so and it doesn't really help that you know man city essentially can do whatever they want with money so no matter what hefty fine of course they'll pay it they'll just mm-hmm. that that fine will get bankrolled and paid for so um yeah. i don't think that's fair if someone else if there was another club who you know breached rules whether knowingly or unknowingly i don't know i could do it unknowingly obviously but <clears throat> they wouldn't be able to bail themselves out in some other fashion so i don't think you can look at it as, and say you know, give club, clubs the opportunity. There should be structured fines, structured, you know, penalizing actions based off of the severity of the offense. And that's kind of where it ends. And yeah. until something that's simple to me is simple as like that happens, you're going to have situations like this where clubs can just say, well, that's fine. I'll pay it. And, you know, and again, I get off scot free. And, and what's worse is that you, they know it. And you can, you can read the things that they were saying. You can look at their actions and they know they were breaching rules and they also know they were going to get caught, but they didn't care. The fact that they didn't care tells you everything you need to know. So for me, those things have to change 100%. We should say City do say they've got definitive proof to say yeah. that they are innocent as well, um, mm. albeit a contradictory email that has leaked. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, that, that says they'd rather, you know, if they can spend £10 million on lawyers for the next 10 years, or was it £50 million on lawyers, then that's a good deal for them. Yeah, they yeah. They, they, lawyers in place, it's but, almost arrogance, wasn't it? They came out with that statement. It's like, no matter yeah. what it costs, we'll, we'll pay it. It's like, okay, so what's the point in having rules then? Mm. And if they if they do miss a year, um, Joel's probably the best one to ask on this one, does 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 Pep decide that um, he's had enough of having a club built for him for the third time and and wander off into the sunset for another year in MLS or something? Because uh, you know he he's he's almost I almost feel with Pep um, putting my my slight bias um, against him aside. Um, I've always felt that he sort of has this kind of um, he works the media brilliantly. You know, in, in credit, he he knows what to say and and when and. One of the criticisms when he was at Barcelona and at Bayern was that after it got a bit too hot, he kind of ran away for a year. With Man City, he's always said, no, I love it. You know, I want to stay. I want to build a dynasty, etc. Recently, that sort of, he hasn't said anything different to that, but you almost get the impression that if he couldn't be in the Champions League, maybe he'd consider his options. Would that be fair? Um, I think he'll definitely stay for the next season. Mm. Um I think either way he'll walk away after that season. Yeah, um, I think I think that's him done. I think what would it, it'll be the longest he's spent at any club? I think yeah, it's five years. Um, 
I I don't see him being a Ferguson Vengerstein twenty no. years from City. I think he he'll have his eye on a different project, be it in Italy or with a national team. Um, it's interesting. It, will he stay another? Will he do a plus one year if they get banned from the Champions League for a year? And mm. um, maybe will he wait it out and try and win the Champions League with Man City, or will it fire them up to win it this season? I really don't know. Uh, um, I, I just don't see him being there past the end of next season to be honest I think yeah you can look at it different ways it can be that it gets out when it gets going and it gets a bit hot or you can look at that it's very intense and if you look at the end of any tenure he's had at any club or you use Bayern and and Barca he's become burnt out Mm. Um, and I think he you're starting to see signs of that this season that he looks tired he looks he's not himself Um, yeah. Looks frustrated, yeah, and and but it, I think he's definitely going to stay next season, and and it wouldn't surprise me if they go and win the league next season, his final year, and then if any of them would walk away. But yeah. I, I think he really, really wants the Champions League at Man City. Yeah. I think he wants the Champions League to win it um, outside of winning it with Barcelona because it's always put against him. Well, he had these unbelievable yeah. players. I think he do it yeah. yeah, if he could do it without Messi, for example, then I think he would then. Um, you know, uh, not that he needs to validate his, his his coaching ability to anybody, but I think it would it would allow him to do that. To be honest, I think yeah. also not not winning it with Bayern was was the thing, and then people kind of use that as a stick to beat him with, saying, "Oh, well, you can win it with Barca, but you can't win it with Bayern." Like, are you yeah. really yeah. that level of manager? So I think he, I think to himself, maybe almost to himself, he has something to prove as well. But yeah. You know, I think it would have been more credible to win up with Bayern than City, but that's a whole other matter. <laughs> so. and, and, I think, and, he have, and I think he's got a lot of work to do with that Man City squad as well, by the way. There's a lot to do with that City yeah. squad with in terms of players that are ageing, players that are moving on, and there's yeah. a lot of rebuilding to do in an awkward summer, isn't there? Yeah, I think he said on, that, hasn't he, in his time that he needs two or three players every summer to come in, mm-hmm. and he just hasn't had that kind of backing. I know we're talking... You know, it sounds crazy to say that, you know, the manager of Manchester City, one of the richest clubs in world football, hasn't had the backing. But when you look at what he's kind of asked for and what they're kind of ending up with, it's it's not necessarily the tools he needs for his job. And I think yeah. where has he had a player like Messi who could necessarily bail him out of those indiscretions that if he didn't necessarily get the centre-back he wanted... It's fine. He's still got the best player in the world there, and he's still got this incredible forward line. Mm. It's a bit like Liverpool in the early years of Klopp, or even mm. Brendan Rodgers. Yeah. They had a terrible defence under Brendan Rodgers, but they had this, you know, the SAS mm. at the at the front end, and they could get they could just win you games. It was fine. Outscore opponents, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, I think it, it, it is interesting, Man City transfer policy, though. I know they've spent so much money, but what is the record signing? Sixty million, is yeah. it? Yeah, they've never gone above. I mean, the majority of the players, if you go Bernard, if you go uh, Bernardo Silva, Benjamin Mendy, De Bruyne, Sterling, Mares, they're all about 50 million. Laporte was 50 million. It seems mm-hmm. like they've got a ceiling on, and he, he always says this, and, he, and people kind of are bewildered when he says it, but he says we are not at the level of Barcelona, Real Madrid, PSGs to mm-hmm. go and buy players for 120, 130 million pounds. And there's something in that because they're never ever linked with those players. They've never been linked with Mbappe since he's been there. Obviously, yeah. but Liverpool are. It's interesting that they, they seem to have a policy where they'll go to a level, and I, and I almost feel like that with wages as well. 
Uh, apparently Liverpool blew him out the water with Van Dijk with wages when it yeah. came to it. So, um, sell it's a weird well one. They seem to sign, like Leroy Sane, they, they will make a profit on if they sell him on to Bayern Munich. It, it yeah. seems bad that, that that's the structure. I mean, look at, look at Bayern's business when he was there as well. I mean, Bayern were, were never, before that, there were never a club that would spend gobs of money on big players because they themselves are, are, are run well financially. So they'll never spend more than sort of maybe 30, 40, or 50 million pounds on a player, despite being a top four club in the world. They have a very good financial back and they could probably afford it, but they would rather spend 40 million pounds per player on three players than 120 million pounds on one player. And I think that's when you're focusing on squad building, that's the exact kind of mentality you need. And for me, I think with the way Pep operates um, in terms of, you know, the, the types of players he's looking for. He's not looking at the best name possible on the market. He's looking at can this player do what I need that player to do in that position. And that's why you have someone like Rodri come in in City who maybe people wouldn't have thought they would have targeted, but he's Rodri was the exact player they actually needed. And I hate kind of admitting that kind of thing, but it's rare where, where Pep-led teams actually get transfer business wrong if you look at it. Even if they might overspend for whatever reason, people would argue that it should have spent that much on Kyle Walker. But Kyle Walker is that type of fullback that City needed and Pep needed for his system. And I think that's kind of where that's the value of it. So he's looking at what he needs, not what the name is. And maybe some other managers wouldn't kind of take it that way. Or maybe some other clubs as well. I mean, Joel can speak this better than anybody, but Barcelona so often look at the name before the, the, if the piece fits the puzzle. It's more about mm-hmm. that clout. But with City and with Pep, and I think he showed that historically, where it's it's about he's trying to buy the right player for what he needs. And um, I think that maybe that's why you'll see them. They'll never be in the market for those. You know, They don't need Mbappe. They could probably go and get them, get them if they really wanted to. They could probably get Mbappe tomorrow. But if they need him, mm-hmm. does he really fit in? Is it worth the expenditure? Does it, does, that takes away from being able to bring in multiple other players to suit the need of rotation and yeah. You know, if it tactically and, and, and technically, so yeah. I think yeah. I think what it spells out, and and if you use Barcelona's example, it, it's it's a direct uh, comparison. Is there's a strategy with Man City's transfers, whereas a team like Barcelona, you know, the sign of Griezmann, I mean, they didn't really need Griezmann. It was just the sign Griezmann, and they ended up with him, and now they put him on the left side of the front three, and it didn't really work. Whereas I think Man City have got a clear strategy of what they need, uh, and they go and get what they need, and they'll do it. In the, mo- in the in the most efficient way, rather than just signing names, there's definitely mm-hmm. a strategy behind what they're doing, and 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 I think that was, United have kind of come through that trend a little bit now. But under Van Hal and and yeah, the late part of Moyes and Van Hal and even early Marino, United were just signing names as well, and they lacked yeah. the strategy. And I think Man City have been consistent in what their strategy is, um, and Chelsea have now have a strategy. It feels under Lampard, you can see clearly what they're trying to do: sign young players and developing players. Um, so I think City's strategy is spot on. It's just interesting what the next steps are because they definitely need three or four players, don't they? Yeah. You know, definitely yeah. a left back, definitely a centre half, two centre halves probably. Arguably um, a midfielder for Fernandinho's yeah, yeah. decline as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, the and jury's that, out on ben- Benjamin Mendy, really, isn't it? I mean, oh, massively, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, you know he's, he's, he's very talented, but he's not particularly mm. a defender. Uh, even Jao Cancelo, I would say, is disappointed based upon what he, mm-hmm. what he did at Juventus. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. no, I agree. And I think, um, yeah, I think an, an ageing Sergio Aguero, uh, uh, a sort of fluttering in and out Gabriel Jesus and the fact that Leroy Sané is openly suggesting he wants to move on could mm-hmm. be a lot of surgery to be, to be looked at. Um, 
Good stuff. Okay, we'll probably leave it there for today. Just before we do shoot, I do just want to make a quick mention of Italy and France. Um, Italy in particular, uh, Serie A, I believe, is, is still scheduled to be returning um, fairly soon. Um, nothing much has happened in the Italian game this week other than Gonzalo Higuain uh, looking quite chunky in training. If you haven't seen that photo, look it up. It's quite interesting to see him next to Ronaldo. It's kind of like your dad turning out for your Sunday league team with the son who's been in training for six weeks and the dad who still thinks he's got it. It's kind of one of those sort of pictures. Um, quite amusing. But yeah, everything's still on schedule for the Italian game to return. Um, France will go into more when Lana's back on, but basically it's a shit show. Um, all sorts going on. The, the French league have essentially said, uh, or recently said, actually, we could have come back and played games, you know, guys. And Toulouse, um, who were relegated... Uh, along with Omion, are now not relegated. Um, Toulouse, who had won three games all season and were absolutely banking on, well, 100% going down and now staying in Ligue 1 because uh, the, the French game has decided to change their minds and uh, and have just, just essentially said they're going to have a truncated season next year with, with more teams, um, which, fingers crossed, at time of recording, still means Lorient will be promoted. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, it's just a, a giant mess, really. You know, Liga made the decision, Liga made the decision, and have now just spectacularly gone back on it. So, um, as I say, when Lana's back on, we'll probably go into that in a little bit more detail. I think it's fair to say it'll be an interesting um, season next season for, for the French teams um, in terms of what happens next, um, given how much of a mess it is. So, yeah, we'll touch on that next time we're on. Um, but, yeah, as usual, uh, thank you very much for tuning in. If you've enjoyed our, our podcast and our ugly mugs, um, Drew's got the right idea. Stay, stay behind the camera. It's safer. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> if, you have, um, if you have enjoyed... The, the episode um please do let us know um thank you again for the for the for the views and, and the watches really appreciate it We've had some really really good numbers and that's not what it's about for us you know we'd be here if there was one person but it's really nice to know that we're entertaining you guys uh thank you as always to, to danny and the abw crew for hosting us as well uh, much much appreciated and of course to joel uh for josh sorry for pressing all the buttons and to joel and drew for joining me as well so um thank you very much guys um, i appreciate your time it's been a pleasure as always. And, and we'll be back. Uh, not sure when, not sure where, not sure how. No, we will. We will be back. Um, we'll probably leave it sort of a week, 10 days, maybe two weeks or so, just to give it a chance to sort of everything to kick back in. Um, but if there is any major stories or anything that we're really itching to get on and discuss, then you might have a little surprise in your inbox. That sounds like a carry-on film line, doesn't it, if ever I heard one. Uh, but speaking of carry-on lines, uh, until next time, keep your beard strong. Not like mine, it looks like pubes. And your glasses trending like Joel's. Uh, until next time, thank you very much for tuning in and we'll speak to you very soon. <laughs>